Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Yale University Pediatric Emergency Podcast Series. Uh, my name is Michael Goldman. I'm one of the attending physicians at the Yale New Haven Children's Hospital. And I also serve as the co-medical director for emergency medical services for children in the state of Connecticut. Uh, soon to introduce my co-host and some exceptional guests that we have on with us today. Um, but I just wanted to give a quick preamble. We get together on occasion when there's really important topics to discuss. Um, and today we're going to be covering specifically the um, emergency management of children and teenagers who identify in the LGBTQ plus community so that we come together to strategize how to best take care of all patients that come to visit us for whatever reason possible. As we get going together, uh, I'd like to turn it over to my co-host, physician assistant at St. Rayfield's campus, Tom Balga, to say a few introductory words. Hello, I'm Tom Balga, physician assistant. Uh, I'm glad you're here with us today. Uh, I'm really honored to have our two special guests here. This is an awesome topic and welcome. I have the privilege to now introduce our two special guests that we have. Um, the first is Kristen, as we affectionately know her as KC Campbell, uh, who is an APRN in the Yale New Haven Emergency Department. Um, Kristen, as you will all get a quick glimpse of, is just an exceptional person. She is the type of person you love to come on shift with because she's going to see 100 million patients. She's going to treat them all with the most exceptional care. Um, she's going to make you laugh. And then there's always a moment where we're going to learn something together. She's an awesome colleague, and I'm so glad she's here with us today. And then our other special guest is uh, a nurse in the Yale system by the name of Dax Sousa. Um, I'll have you both say hello, but Dax uh, works uh, throughout the, the Children's Hospital. Um, and again, is, is an exceptional person and colleague. So Kristen, Dax, you want to say hello? Hey, everyone. I'm Kristen Campbell. Everybody calls me KC, and I am comfortable with she or they pronouns. Hey everyone, I'm Dax. Thanks for listening. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his. Well, again, thank you guys so much for being here. We got a lot to cover. And I'll just set the stage. The overarching uh, goal that we're trying to accomplish together um, is really just to, to make sure that providers, no matter where they're working in an emergency setting, feel a bit more equipped uh, to treat all the patients that they meet with exceptional dignity and respect. Um, I'll start with a couple of just basic agreed upon facts that I think are important to set the stage for our conversation. The first is that children and adolescents in the LGBTQ plus population have indeed specific mental and physical health issues for which they seek emergency care in emergency departments, both at academic centers and in the community hospital setting. And as such, the healthcare personnel who work in these settings need be aware of the conditions in order to provide the best care possible to the patient in front of them. And then ultimately, I think as we listen and have our conversation together, I think we'll all agree that the overarching strategies and topics that we go through really boil down into being just great healthcare providers. But we do want to call special attention just to make sure that we are meeting all of our patients, especially in the LGBTQ plus population, uh, as best as we can. Some ground rules before we get going. This is a safe and open space. I think there are terminology, there's acronyms, there's all sorts of different aspects of our discussion where we may make missteps along the way. Uh, and I think that just starting the conversation by saying, we're gonna give each other the benefit of the doubt that we're here to learn and do better next time. Uh, and that we're gonna practice, uh, practice makes perfect. So we hope that 
demonstrating this conversation will bring it back to your community hospital uh, and your community practices. Dax and KC and Tom, are there any other kind of rules or considerations we should sort of cover before get, getting going? I think that's a great jumping off point, but let's hold each other accountable in this conversation. Cool. All right. So segment one of our conversation is going to go like this. Caring for all, and I capitalize A-L-L, all our patients starts with establishing rapport. The specific learning objectives for this section is that by the end of our discussion, I hope the listeners are going to be able to understand how proper pronoun use helps to establish rapport with our LGBTQ plus population. We are going to introduce a tool that we will include in our show notes um, to help both teach and learn proper pronoun use. And as will be the ultimate goal for our three sections that we hope to develop together, we hope to empower everyone uh, as individuals and later to serve as teachers in their own practice settings with ways to make their EDs more welcoming to our LGBTQ plus patients. Okay, so, Casey, you're on the hot seat first, all right? I'll make the point to say that any ED visit is challenged by establishing rapport with families and especially with kids. And I'll even add that, especially in the COVID era, when we're all masked up, gowned up, it does present a bit of a challenge to make sure that the people understand that we're there for them, that we're trusting, that we actually have smiles underneath most of the time. But there's obviously something a little bit more that we can do better for our LGBTQ plus populations. And I wonder if you'd share your thoughts on the matter. Absolutely. Uh, I think sadly, unless we're asking and respecting names and pronouns, the minute that someone arrives in the department, we mess this up the minute they walk through the doors. Uh, a few weeks ago, I took care of a non-binary teenager who was coming back to the ER after being admitted to uh, the psychiatric hospital because they had picked up some open wounds from a prior attempt to kill themselves by cutting. Um, and when I was speaking with them, they started crying and said, nobody has used my pronouns consistently right since I've been here. And they told me that in the time that they had been in the pediatric ER, our rapid psychiatric evaluation unit, and then in the inpatient setting for, psych for psychiatry, they had been misgendered over 30 times before they stopped counting. We failed that kid. They came to us for help in crisis, for depression and suicidal ideation, and we made things worse. If we're making assumptions based on someone's names, their clothing, their haircut, we're gonna get it wrong every time. And I don't know about you, but I wanna get it right every single time for every single patient. Absolutely. Casey, that's such a valuable anecdote. Thank you for sharing. Um, Dax, do you have any experiences that speak to this issue? Yeah, so mine's a little bit more on a personal note. Um, so I came out as trans last fall. Um, and at the time I was seeing, uh, physical therapist, so pre-transition, pre-pronoun um, change. And so when I went to that appointment to tell the provider that I was uh, going to begin my medical transition um, and changing my name and changing my pronouns, um, I obviously was very scared um, because you don't really know how someone's going to react. But I think what really made me feel comfortable was that uh, I felt that she was with me. So she was making really good eye contact. She was listening more because we have two ears and one mouth. Um, and she was affirming and she was not judgmental at all. So that made me feel really safe. But like within the same visit, I then went outside to um, the secretary and I explained that I was changing my name. And she was like, 
Uh, so this means I have to do so much paperwork now. And I was just so thrown off when she said that. And I was able to kind of be like, this is a really big moment for me. And, and you just made me feel really bad. But again, I'm older and I have the ability to advocate for myself, whereas like younger children don't necessarily have that. And it, I could see how it would cause like more issues for them. So that was just like within one visit. So then just to like contrast that further, I receive all my healthcare at Anchor Health, which is a LGBTQ plus um, inclusive healthcare clinic in the state of Connecticut. And all of the providers that work there, all the staff are specially trained. And so when I go there, I know that I don't, I, coming out as trans, I've been trained to like carry around a shield with me because it's the only way that I can protect myself. Like if I get misgendered or if anything goes wrong. And I know that like, if I go to anchor health, I don't have to bring my shield. So my hope with this podcast and just educating everyone around us that the kids in the ED don't have to bring their shields with them. It's a really nice analogy. You know, a couple of things that I'm hearing from both of you guys is that when the patient, so Dax, you personally, and then Casey in your practice, when you make that patient safe, um, whether that's whatever way you establish rapport, but again, especially about proper pronouns and, and a gender identity there, you're gonna increase your chance of getting the most reliable history and physical exam data that you can best care from the patients. Um, and I think that's super important. We talk about that a lot with, you know, establishing rapport with toddlers in the pediatric emergency department. And essentially this is no different, right? You have to make that person feel as comfortable as possible as fast as possible, because we have a big job to do uh, to make sure you guys, uh, that we're delivering the best care possible. The other thing that I really that jumped out at me was this idea of making things harder for the administrative person that needs to change new paperwork or whatever it may be. And that context and that it's like, of course, this moment is so much harder for the patient and we all need to be grounded in that. Yeah, and the other thing I just wanted to say too is it comes down to that basic rule, that golden rule we learned when we were kids, right? You always want to treat other people the way you'd want to be treated, right? So if we all remember that and kind of use that as a basis for the way we interact with all patients, it'd probably be helpful. So I think I think those are really great stories and really helpful reminders of why this is so important to get this right. Tom, absolutely um, golden rule, right? We all have to be thinking that way uh, as we meet our patients in the emergency department. Um, you know, we have some interesting data out there um, related to the LGBTQ plus population. Um, this data is from the CDC's Youth Risk Behavior Surveillance Program. And I'll rattle off just a, a handful of statistics here. The first one is around greater than half of this population has experienced discrimination when seeking medical treatment. About 50% of transgender individuals report a lack of provider knowledge. Over a quarter of transgender and gender nonconforming people have postponed medical care when sick or injured due to fear of discrimination. So not only are we trying to abide by the golden rule, but we're really setting ourselves up for really not taking care as best as possible of all the patients in front of us. And so Casey, can you help us strategize a little bit? How do you in fact establish rapport? What are some of the things you say when you meet your patients? So absolutely, uh, Michael, like you're saying, it's not just about the golden rule alone. It's about like countering possibly years of discrimination in the healthcare setting. You want to make sure that you are undoing some of the harm that has been done previously. 
and the fastest, quickest and easiest way to avoid discrimination, show that you are knowledgeable, and most importantly, show up respecting and affirming your patients is again, names and pronouns. So every time I walk into a teenager's room, this is how I do it. Hey everyone, I'm Kristen Campbell. Kristen Campbell, I'll be one of your nurse practitioners today. Most people around here call me Casey and I'm comfortable with she or they pronouns. What do you like to be called and what pronouns do you use? It, it feels, sounds like a mouthful, but it takes a few seconds and it is like the most quick way to just get someone to say, oh, hey, thanks for sharing your pronouns, I use this. And every time, like, I've had patients appreciate it. If they don't know, if they like are like, what, what do you mean? It's okay, you move on and just use their name. Is there an age that you start that type of an introduction or you just do it every time? Um, I previously tried to do it for the 12 and up crowd, but if I see um, a patient has like a different name in the chart or if I uh, feel like they maybe presenting in a way that is different than like their presumed assigned sex. I'll ask much younger or I'll ask the parent, does your child have a a gender identity different than what may be assumed? And then how do you strategize when you alluded to this already, but when it just seems like people, what are you talking about? Or if you get one of those kind of reactions. Yeah. If it, if I get one of those, I just say, Oh, no worries. Pronouns are, you know, she, he, they, or others. But um, I just want to know what you're most comfortable with. And if you're not sure, I can just use your name. Yeah. And sometimes in my practice, uh, you know, we all have a moment to interview adolescents by themselves. And it's a nice opportunity to either have that conversation quickly again, or to sort of recheck in about that. Right. Absolutely. I've had a lot of teenagers, uh, in the private sex, drugs, and alcohol talks say, oh, I'm trying out uh, they, them pronouns, but my mom doesn't know yet. And so I say, okay, great. Like, would you like me to use those with you personally? Would you like me to use those in front of your family? And I've had some patients say, yeah, can you try it out in front of my mom? I, I want to see if they notice. And, you know, uh, it's kind of interesting, the responses that you'll get. And I just try to be respectful. I only have, um, I only update the medical record if I've asked permission. I only use the, you know, the pronouns that they have told me if I have permission to use it in front of their families because some aren't there yet. And uh, you just need to know how to keep your patient comfortable throughout the entire visit. That's awesome. Dax, do you have any strategies you want to share? Um, sort of what Casey has been talking about. I think a big thing for me is I'm always mindful when parents are present and sort of sensing the tension. If I, if it feels that there's tension between the child and the, cause I work on the floor. So it's a little bit different. I wait, you know, during admission. And if I know that the parent is going to step outside the room, then I will speak to the child and we'll go over um, when they want to be called their pronouns, sort of what Casey was saying. And that seems to be very successful for me, but also um, I think, sometimes parents can serve as barriers. So if we have a, a small amount of time to discuss that, I don't know if y'all have any uh, strategies for other providers on how we can navigate uh, parents and making sure that we're supporting the, the children. That's a great question. And I feel like it brings up the issue of when family members misgender the kid and the kid is desperately trying to get their family members on board. Um, my usual go-to, is to just continue to use the pronouns that the patient has told me. And if the family continues to misgender, every once in a while I'll say, oh, you mean 
she, right? And give them a little, give the kid a little wink, or I'll say, I noticed that you're using, you know, these pronouns. I'm going to continue to use these pronouns because I feel it's really important to respect your child in this time. And sometimes they'll, you know, sometimes family members are like, oh, I know I'm really working on it. It's just a really hard transition. And it is, it is, it's easier for me who's just meeting this kid than someone that's potentially raised someone under different pronouns for 12 years. But sometimes it's a little bit less of an honest mistake and the family members, you know, are intentionally doing something that is harming their child. And that is not okay in my book because I'm here to advocate for my patient first. Yeah, I think those are great tips. Okay, yeah, those are all great stories and really helpful reminders why it's so important to get this right. Let's talk about pronouns and nomenclature. Because I, I feel that these definitions and some of the uh, terminology could be a little bit confusing and just good to kind of do a quick review if that's okay. Okay, absolutely. So um, under this category, we have three main categories. We have biological sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. Um, and I feel like a lot of the times we get confused with these three categories. So I have it nice and, and simple so we can understand the differences. So biological sex is the assignment of either male or female at birth. And it's typically based on external genitalia and chromosomes. It's a result of complex interplay of genetics, which is chromosomes, hormones, and gonads. So typically you'll have a female XX or you'll have male XY. And then this influences how someone develops their secondary sex characteristics. So typically if someone has XX, they'll develop ovaries, a vagina. And then if someone has XY, they'll have testes and a penis. But not to forget that there's also many variations of this. So there's XXY, XXX, and then this results in uh, folks that are intersex. And intersex people typically will have internal gonads that are different than their external genitalia. And a lot of people don't realize that this is a lot more common than um, we think. And a fun fact that I found out, so intersex births uh, occur one in 100 births, and that's about as many redhead folks that are on this planet. Um, and then something else that came up was uh, when I was doing some research actually for myself uh, as I was transitioning, um, they did MRI studies on trans folks, and they saw that uh, the brain of a trans male or a trans woman is that the equivalent of a cis, which I'll go into this language, a cis man and a cis woman. So in theory, if my brain were scanned, it would look that of a cis man. And so they think this is related back to um, uh, differentiation of the brain that occurs at a later point than when the gonads are occurred, if that makes sense. Yeah. So Dax, Tom, and Michael, you all have the same brain. <laughs> yeah. Then the next topic is gender identity. And that is the deep internal sense of who we are. And it's the person that you see when you look in the mirror. Um, so with this, there's cisgender. It's a gender identity that aligns with the sex of a person that's assigned at birth. So, um, and then there's also transgender. It's a sense of self that does not align with the gender of a person that was assigned at birth. And terms that we usually use in healthcare that are important to know are AFAB, so assigned female at birth, and then AMAB, assigned male at birth. So an example of this would be 
for me, I'm AFAB. So I was assigned female at birth, but I'm a trans male and I'm comfortable being called a male. And in my medical record, it says male. And because I get all my Epic is really great and that it, it allows for a little notion to say that I was assigned female, but when I look at my chart, it says male and that's very affirming for me. Can I just throw something in, in there? So if I were charting on Dax as my patient, I would say something like Dax, parentheses, he, him, an AFAB trans male blank presents today with awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I think medically that would be how you would describe it because as we'll talk about in another segment, there'll be issues that could come up for different trans folks that it's important to know what anatomy that trans folks have to give them the best care. So under uh, gender identity, there's also non-binary. And this is a person whose gender identity doesn't fall into the binary of man or woman. Many of these folks prefer the pronouns they, them, but not always they, them. And an interesting fact is that the US Passport Agency just included uh, the non-binary gender identity on passports. And also several states include the non-binary X. So it's now hopefully the entire United States will have the gender X, but I know Connecticut does, New York does, Maine does, um, Washington DC does. And then there's also gender fluid, which is sort of under the um, umbrella of non-binary. And it's a person who doesn't identify with the gender binary or gender stereotypes. So an example of this would be a man who wears a dress. So then sexual orientation, this is described as the person that you want to date. So there is lesbian, uh, which is a woman who's attracted to folks who identify as women. There's gay. Um, these are folks which can, this term can also be used for women attracted to women, but typically it's described as men who are attracted to other men. Um, then there is uh, bisexual, which these are folks who are attracted to more than one gender. And I think a big term um, that I'd like to review is pansexual because a lot of our youth uh, identify and feel comfortable with this. And this is the concept that uh, one person is attracted to all people and a lot of people describe it as just being attracted to their soul. So it, it kind of like takes away all the, the boxes and, and things like that. And then there's the concept of queer, which um, many people uh, had once referred to it as a derogatory term, but a lot of folks, including myself and the LGBTQ plus community have owned it back. And it is often described as either a gender identity or just um, a sexual orientation. So I often tell people, yes, I'm a queer person. And then an ally is any supportive or kind human that is open-minded and understanding, regardless of gender identity or expression, and not necessarily a member of the LGBTQ plus community. We sure hope that anyone who's listening to this podcast and then shares it with their colleagues uh, can spread this idea of allyship. It's really awesome. Dax, that's super helpful. Um, that's a, a lot of information that you shared with us and it's really valuable information. Um, some of us are visual learners and of course this is a podcast. So we have a tool that we really like and that we're gonna share with you guys uh, called the Gender Bread Person. And I was wondering if Casey, you would just walk us through the general concepts of, of this tool. Absolutely. So if you just open up the Google and type the gender bread person in, um, this is a great, cute little tool for our visual learners or anyone who might need a quick recap of Dax's great information. 
Basically, it gives you a rundown of gender identity, what lives in our brain, uh, gender expression, how we present ourselves, sex biologically, uh, and attraction. So who we may or may not be attracted to. Um, and it gives us a really great range of all of these things on a spectrum. If you look up 2.1, it's a little bit more inclusive for some of this uh, evolving gender identity and attraction that we learn more about every day. So when you're having a look at the gender red person, there's two important things to keep in mind. Expressions, identities, orientation, and sex are all separate from each other. You cannot make an assumption about one just because you know what the other is. Ask your patients. And number two, keep in mind that all of these things may change over time. Someone may, may be changing characteristics of their body to match their gender identity over time. They may change their expression, but not their identity. And it's really important if you have a setting where you're giving more continuity of care than we see in the ER, that you are asking your patients at regular intervals to make sure that you're getting it right when you want to be getting it right. Casey, thanks for walking us through the gender bread person. And again, we'll have links in our show note to this amazing visual. Um, so thanks for that. Um, that summary. Um, and I just wanted to quickly, as we transition to our last uh, segment of this uh, initial conversation together, uh, just give the audience a, a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, um, that we've had to edit this podcast a lot. Uh, we're having a lot of fun making it together, but indeed we're all making mistakes here and there. And I guess that's sort of like the, where I wanted to conclude this initial conversation is mistakes are part of life. Uh, and they're certainly going to be a part of ensuring that we're trying to be allies and we're trying to make sure that we're making everyone as comfortable and safe as possible. So KC and then Dax, I'll ask you guys, when you make a mistake with some of this verbiage or a term, or you misgender or mispronoun, what's your approach? What do you do? Such a great question. And mistakes are inevitable. This is new material for a lot of people. Um, the best tip that I can offer is that if you mess it up, just quickly correct yourself, move on, and make sure that you get it right the next time. Exactly. Don't make a scene. Don't over-apologize. Say the correct pronoun and move forward. Don't get defensive and don't get angry. Those are the two big things that, that we need to take away from this. We really want to make sure that you're not leaving the trans person or the gender non-conforming person with the burden of saying it's okay when you make a mistake because it's not and it's it's just time to fix it and move on awesome and then can you just comment a, briefly about perceiving your colleagues at work and sort of the role of the ally um the role of all of us so to speak when we hear this these terminology not used correctly yeah, with our colleagues, uh, we just need to hold each other accountable. Correct your coworkers, even if it takes a thousand times. Um, I don't know how many times I've had a social worker or a nurse telling me about a patient, and I just say, he, he, you mean he, don't you? He, like throughout their entire, you know, tale. And eventually it'll sink in. You will make sure that the next time they are in the room with the patient, they don't misgender the patient directly. And I just want to mention one thing about that as well, is I think we just really need to make sure there's a zero tolerance for any derogatory comments, 
So if you hear something, address it immediately and don't tolerate any derogatory comments. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to add that, um, I don't know if you all have seen, uh, but the Yale Health System, at least in the Children's Hospital, recently put up a bunch of uh, posters um, stating that Yale Health, well, Yale New Haven Health does not um, tolerate any sort of discrimination based on uh, gender, sexual orientation, or race. And we, there's actually a number there for both uh, staff and uh, patients to call if they feel like they're being discriminated in, in any sort. And I'll just add, you know, just in the most recent history, right, emergency department providers had to learn about COVID, right? COVID is complex. COVID is hard. We're still learning so much stuff as every day goes. It is definitely, absolutely our continued obligation to be lifelong learners. And I hope that everyone will embrace the content that we're covering today as just another part of the responsibility of being an exceptional emergency medicine provider or really any uh, member of this community uh, in that learning these terms, getting it right, practicing it, holding each other accountable. It's just a part of our job and uh, we should be we should be embracing that challenge. So that's really the what I wanted to cover, what we wanted to cover in segment number one. Uh, remember, the start of the visit, it's so critical. No matter who you're taking care of, um, we want to make sure that we welcome everyone, make them as safe as possible so we can get the most reliable information from our patients and give them not only the best care possible, but certainly treat everybody with the dignity that they deserve. One parting shot from me that really stuck with me from this conversation is that all of this is so much harder for the patient in front of you. And I think that we all need to keep that humility in check and realize that, yeah, we may be learning some new terminology. It may be uh, at times challenging to find the right words and expressions to get it correct. But truly that patient in front of you is seeking your expertise and your help. And the best way to give it to them is to make them feel safe. Dax and then KC and Ella and with Tom, do you guys have a parting shot? Absolutely. Uh, practice, practice, practice. The more you practice, the more you get it right. And if we want to provide equitable care, we need to get it right for all of our patients. 100% accountability, both on your end and all your colleagues' ends. We're here for the patients, not for ourselves. Yeah, this was awesome. I appreciate you guys going over this with us. So stay tuned for, stay tuned for section two, which we'll dive deeper into the mental health burden of the LGBTQ plus population. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.